Hey friends, it's Zach. And you're about to hear an awesome conversation with Matthew DiStefano from the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Also just released a new book called Heretic. It is available now for the month of April, 99 cents on Kindle. There's also paperback versions, all proceeds going to the Preemptive Love Coalition. So a good cause during the month of April, and it's also a great book. Anyways, great conversation coming up, but I do want to apologize and confess. Uh, the sound for Matthew is great. The sound for Scott, who's Skyping in, is fine. The sound for Jeff and I should normally be top-notch, but I did not switch something, and I think we recorded with the MacBook input, so that's why it sounds like Jeff and I are hang- hanging out in the shower, which who knows, we might have been. So enjoy that. It's a great conversation, though. And stick around until after the interview, we read a bunch of listener feedback and tease the next episode. So thanks for listening. Bros, Bibles, beer on all the socials and rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Also, how could I forget? We are giving away three copies of Matthew's new book, Heretic. And all you have to do is check out the pinned messages on the top of our Facebook and Twitter pages, facebook.com slash bros Bibles beer. Twitter is at bros Bibles beer for information on how to win a copy of the book. All right, let's get to it. Love you. Jesus goes to the cross forgiving people who are murdering him. That's some radical stuff, man. That is not, I guarantee I would not do that. I practice, <laughs> I practice following Je- So, so I practice following Jesus in theory but yeah. and I'll forg- I'll forgive people that have done things to me. But in the midst of something, I know jujitsu. I know some Muay Thai. I was I trained jujitsu for a long time. I'll choke I'll choke your ass out before I forgive you on the cross. Fine. How are you? Doing well. Do you want me to be on video? That would be fantastic. If you don't mind, but it's it's your call. The face to face is a little more personal. Well, is that work? Yes. Got it. All right. Next I don't time. know how Skype works. I don't, I've never used it except for like five years ago. Yeah. You guys use something else for yours? Yeah, we use something called ZenCaster, and uh, it, it it seemed to work okay. And then the last. I was on a, another podcaster that used it, and then his audio didn't upload, so we didn't release the episode because there's, it's just me talking. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, it kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, it does suck. Yeah. Hey, Matthew, I'm Jeff. Jeff? And I'm Zach. Nice to, nice to see you guys. Yeah, and Scott's on remote. And Scott, Scott's you're on taking mute. a walk? He's trying yeah, to I'm here. How's it going, Matthew? I, I'm well, thanks. We'll just get started because I know this stuff your book is just at least 10 cans of worms, if not more. So we need all the time we can get, I think. Okay. But, but, uh, what, well, first of all, uh, Barrett Johnson, I got to do a shout out to him. He's how I found you. And then we ended up at the live podcast, um, which was pretty cool. It was the one on hell 
and um, the one where Scott got to have a little input, and uh, so that was awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Well, cool. Are we are we just chatting or are we recording right now? We are do doing do both. Thing? Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it records from the beginning and it always catches people off guard, but. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Just throw people right in the mixer right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. I like when 20 minutes in, someone says, so you guys ready to start? We're like, well, would you like to delete anything you said? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> then you catch people saying things. Hey, I, I won't cuss here, but um, unless you give me the go-ahead, but you catch people saying you things. You say whatever you want. Yeah. Otherwise. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll try to tone it down, you know. I mean, No, I don't I don't have a change jar or whatever for when you cuss, but like you guys do oh, on your good. podcast. But, uh, we, that's good because that costs me a lot of money sometimes. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll start with something ridiculous. Um, when you're, let's just say you're rolling up on the new Jerusalem and you get to pick, you get to pick one person from history, dead or alive, to announce you and you get to pick a song as your walk-in mix to walk into the gates <laughs> of the new Jerusalem. Who, who uh, calls you in and what, what are you listening to? I love irony. So maybe John Calvin can call me in. Um, <laughs> And then something not epic, so, so maybe classical or Mozart or something like maybe Chopin. He's he's one of my favorite pianists. So something really calm and just everyone chill out here. There's nothing to see. <laughs> I like it. There's nothing to see. <laughs> I like Calvin. Uh, well, I, I'm very introverted, so I, I would not want it to be a scene. I would just like to maybe go in the back gate. I'm not sure. <laughs> Cover your face as you walk down the side. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get the picture of John Calvin just kind of announcing his your name through his teeth, like just gritting his teeth. Oh, I guess so. <laughs> Maybe very reluctantly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put words in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So what? Uh, what? What God were you? What version of God were you given when you were born? What were you born into? Oh. Um, well, I'm trying to think back. Uh, it was. I was baptized when I was nine. I think I, I think I, quote unquote, gave my heart to the Lord, as they say. Um, maybe when I was six or seven, and it was a, uh, I can't remember their theology, but if I, you know, a little histor historical study, I guess, knowing what I believed when I was a teenager, I imagine we came from a very similar church uh, that was in Santa Cruz, California, and we moved up to a little town called Paradise, California. And their theology, they were a CMA church, so that's Christian and Missionary Alliance. Are you guys familiar with that? I'm not. In name only. Okay. Um, it was, most of us were Arminian theologically, um, rather than, as opposed to Calvinist. But what, what we believed essentially was um, rapture theology, definitely. Most of us were uh, what's called, uh, I guess, pre-tribulation rapture. So the Christians rapture before all, all uh, hell, you know, hell in a handbasket, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I had never heard of like annihilationism or universalism. So everyone I knew believed in eternal torment, and most believed in literal flames. Some believed they were figurative. Um, penal substitution atonement theory, inerrant Bible, um, and that. So. I'd say a, a really, really conservative evangelical. You know, they they have Simpson College. If you've heard of that, that's up in Redding, California. It's like an hour and a half north of me, where I'm at. Yeah, I that so that was that was the basic, uh, under, the basic Christianity I was given. 
when you say uh, six or seven years old to Christ in as you know my Lord and Savior, do you even remember back at that point? Do you can you describe it all? What that was, or is I mean, was it really yourself, or was it family that brought you to that point? No, I can't remember the okay. specific events, so it must it must have been family. I vaguely remember my baptism. Um, you said that was, was a, at nine. It was pretty large. That was at nine, but right. no, I cannot remember, like, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Right. I don't remember that event. So okay. this is going off, um, this is going off maybe just, just before. Mem mem memories that you have, and then they sort of probably lose all of their specificity, and sure. you kind of just vaguely remember it. Yeah. Sure. Did you only uh, invite Jesus into your heart once, or were there multiple times? Well, um, <laughs> I only remember once. Because I did, I did kind of think that whole, well, Jesus come back into my heart stuff was sort of weird. Like people always asking <laughs> Jesus into your heart. Um, do, you need, do you need to do that again right now? Well, <laughs> yeah, may, maybe. Some would, def some would definitely say so. <laughs> it is funny. I'm noticing people with similar stories as you, uh, myself included, they're is quite a bit of I was afraid it didn't take or I, I kept making the same mistakes and I couldn't get out of the habitual sins and so and then afraid to add that to being afraid of missing the rapture uh, equals you're in bed one night freaking out thinking you're gonna die in an earthquake potentially and and uh, asking Jesus into your heart one more time for good measure yeah well I constantly ask for forgiveness which uh, that's okay that's fine um, but you know what I was really afraid of was um, the un unpardonable sin or unforgivable sin, as it were. And I was just always like, God, I really hope I didn't do that because all this is pretty meaningless now, at least as I understood it. Like, as long as I didn't do that, I was still good. I was still potentially okay. Um, so I always worried about that one, but I never really got a, um, you know, a good answer as to what that was <laughs> specifically, you know. Um, Theoretically, I, I was told things, but I didn't know how that really translated into the real world. But no, I never had a problem with, you know, I never felt like I had to ask Jesus over and over. I was afraid of missing the rapture, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, if my parents were late or not where they were supposed to be, I was just like, oh, man, this could, <laughs> this could, this is going to get ugly. <laughs> the next seven years are going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Funny and, and a bummer, too. A little bit of a bummer. Well, yeah. Scott, you look like you're going to say something. I wish you were here, No, buddy. I was just laughing. Okay. <laughs> I was laughing on mute. All right, so you were you kind of grew up in that, and I've heard you talk a couple times about losing your faith and kind of being an atheist for a short time. you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I spent a, a good, well, it wasn't a long period of time in, in dabbling in atheism. It was in my late 20s. You know, I, I I was really into philosophy and logic, and I was listening to folks like Dawkins and Hitchens, and <laughs> I guess, <laughs> well, now I look back and I'm like, well, they're not great philosophers. But anyway, <laughs> what, what they were saying at the time, I was just like, oh, yeah, some of this kind of makes sense to me. And uh, so I had... Here, the, the big problem I had was this depiction of a really violent, retributive God. And the arguments against that God, I looked at it and go, well, shoot, that seemed, yeah, that seems pretty damning. Uh, if that God exists, I got, a, I got a problem here because I really, 
I really can't worship that God, honestly. So it's, and we're just, human beings are so violent and retributive anyway. Like I, in my mind, I was just like, we don't need a God. Like we've got this on our own. It seems like that God's just like us. So, and I didn't want, it was really uncomfortable. Like I kept watching these Hitchens uh, debates on YouTube and I'm sure, you know, some of us have probably seen those. They're pretty popular. Some of them have like pretty, you know, millions of views. Um, and I would look at it as objectively as I could and go, damn it, Hitchens won that debate. And then I'd watch the next one and be like, well, shit, Dawkins won that debate. <laughs> and it was, I didn't want them to. I really didn't. I, I, wanted, I wanted the theists like William Lane Craig and folks like that. I wanted them to win the debate because I wanted to hold on to my faith. But then so, but objectively I looked and I was like, well, it just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And so... I would say I was a soft atheist. I wasn't like a hardline atheist, like um, getting big into it. But there was a season where I was just very, very agnostic, borderline atheist. Like kind of each day would I'd kind of be right on that fence. Yeah. Um, and it was an uncomfortable. Pro I didn't like that feeling. Like it wasn't comforting to conclude that in my mind. Like my my mind might have concluded it for a while, but in my heart I was just like, I, it doesn't resonate with me. Hmm. Uh, so that's why I, I just kept digging and, and reading. I, I, I came and then I came across, you know, some different uh, understandings of Christianity that I said, OK, well, the God that Hitchens and Dawkins are refuting. Well, other people of faith don't believe in that God either. So maybe maybe I can find my you know, maybe I can find my way. So I just kept reading and reading and and came, you know, I mean, it's a long process over years. Um, but reading folks like Tom Talbot, the philosopher and David Bentley Hart, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. uh, not every person of faith has the same theology. And so the theology I was given, once that fell away in my mind and I couldn't affirm it any longer, it was like, well, then there is no God, but, oh, come to find out there's a lot of different theologies. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even know. I, I always just thought the, my theology was God because that was always sort of what what was told to me, this is what God is like, full stop, end of story, that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah, I wanted, everybody's using deconstruction, but until I find a better term, that's kind of what it was, but kind of going through a faith transition, for me, there was that people describe it as a loss, almost like God, God died, like your view of God died, and when you start to think that maybe there's a possibility that God never existed. There's like, it's almost like this, uh, the loss of a family member in a small way uh, or a bigger way. But it's just, I don't know. It's amazing to me how until you go through that, you, you, you just don't know what it's like. And it's, it's easy to say, well, why don't you just here, read this book and, or just believe, just trust. It's, but from my perspective, it was like, I don't, it's not like I'm choosing this. If I could go back to where it was, where I believed wholeheartedly, unquestioningly, I'd sign me up. But for some reason, you just can't. You can't do that. Just like you can't pretend to be an atheist, really. Like some people go through like a year of atheism. They're kind of gimmicky, um, and and an atheist will take on a belief for uh, for an experiment. But that's just it. Doesn't really work when it's at the heart level. Uh, yeah, that's what I found. And. <laughs> I just got into it with some atheists on Patheos where I blog, and it was like, wow, <laughs> they're really very certain about that about this, and it just seems like a little bit of humility might help, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
And, and and for me, yeah, it was just, and they would probably call it feelings, but I would say it was dip, it was deep. I had feelings about what I experienced, but my experience wasn't just my experience wasn't fully explained by my feelings. It was on a deeper level of knowing for me, and that, and I guess I probably can't put that into words. It wasn't an intellectual level. And I did have feelings, but it wasn't just feelings. It was like something doesn't resonate with with me as a whole person, you know, so it doesn't resonate in my soul or my heart or whatever language you want to use. And but for some people, they stay in atheism. And, and uh, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, people are where they are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you also one of the things I like about you is that you are an unabashed Christian universalist, which can mean, you know, depending on who's calling themselves that or can mean different things. But what does that mean to you? And uh, how confident are you in that position? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think I think when people hear the term universalist, they, they, they think, of, you know, whatever they think. And, and there's just not one when you say universalist, it doesn't mean one thing. And so, yeah, I, I'm glad that you asked that question. I, I just believe that I'm basically a, a four point Calvinist. Um, but I don't believe the atonement's limited, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and <laughs> I, I just see it as the implications of the gospel. Um, you know, if Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like my belief or what I what I think about God or Christ or the cross has any effect on what the gospel is. The gospel is the gospel. It's good news for people that might not yet know it yet. Um, and me me turning to Jesus didn't so, somehow activate His grace for me. His grace is His grace, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can't then look at other people who haven't experienced that or won't repent. Um, and say that they're somehow damned or that somehow at death that stops. So I just think it's it's almost like uh I don't use the term as much anymore, but it, it's almost just like almost a logical conclusion of the gospel, how I see the gospel, the good news for for everyone. And I would say I'm I'm convinced of my hopefulness. I'm convinced of hope. Mm-hmm. So I I would be a hopeful universalist and I'm convinced that hope is something that we should look at and look towards. And, and if we're not hopeful of that, I think it, it, it reveals something in our heart that's not quite right. How could I not hope that even the most unrepentant sinner won't one day right. declare Jesus as Lord and give praise for that? Right. Um, if I'm not hopeful of that, I, I think then I've got, I've got some issues. And when I'm not hopeful of that, it's generally some asshole that I don't like. <laughs> and, but, that, but that reveals more about me because I, I am an asshole. Like, I'm glad that that I wasn't the one who was dubbed to go to the cross because I would have been like, screw this. I'm not dying for these people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I can be a jerk, you know. It's tough to reflect in that, you know, in those moments as you are the hopefulness and even seeing people that you don't agree with or, you know, that can frustrate you and or, you know, the person who is lost and is in the wrong place all the time and is doing the wrong things to, you know, wronging people and to hope for those, to have hope for those people even, um, is difficult. Um, and it sounds like you're in a place 
where one day, I mean, I just have to keep reflecting what, who Christ was and is, and, and hopefully one day they will uh, see that light. And, and so that's a, that's a great, from my, from my perspective, that's a great perspective. And I love that when I see that, or I hear that, and I see it in action um, from people that I know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. This is, I mean, I'll just, a pet peeve of mine is, is this is what people say. And, and not everyone says it, but what, so Hitler's going to walk in and it's like, or, or this is some easy doctrine to believe in. It's like, no, I, because I have to wrestle with the fact that someone like Hitler, which is persona non grata of everyone, <laughs> all yeah. you can look, you can just look at Hitler and say, okay, your universalism fails. And it's like, no, or it's, or it's an easy uh, backsliding sort of thing. It's like, no, I have to explain that and say that, yeah, it, what Hitler did was obviously like objectively horrible. He's a good scapegoat. Well, of course he is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that, you know, but I, I, it's just a pet peeve of mine because it's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, the cross is still bigger. I mean, as, as I, is, is it Paul? <laughs> Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make you want to sin. It doesn't say, well, I'm going to go sin because grace and all that. It's like, well, no, I, I think grace really compels us and convicts us. Uh, but no, it's not. The, to the people that say this is an easy doctrine to believe, it's, it's far from that. Uh, because I have to acknowledge that the people that I don't like the most, and there are people I don't, I generally don't like them in terms of my interactions with them thus far. But one day I do hope that I can sit and have a beer or a whiskey. I know you guys do beer on here, but I drink whiskey. Um, oh, we do bourbon I, too. You know, <laughs> oh, that's good. As long as it starts with a B. <laughs> good. Um, Body shots. Jeez. <laughs> I like how as that's coming out of Scott's mouth, his eyes were like, I shouldn't even say this. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Is, does that come at the end of this podcast, the body shot uh, portion? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm glad I'm on Skype. So, Jeff, Zach. <laughs> and yeah, it's up to you guys because we're all <laughs> yeah. Hey, right, But no, I, I mean, I got to look across the table and say that the people I don't like the most are, are reconciled and loved and forgiven uh, by God, by Christ. And, and, it, and in the end, for me, it's like, how can I hold a grudge with people I really believe are going to sit at the grand capital T table. Um, it's really, it makes no sense to hold grudges and not forgive. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, especially if you can get to a point and I don't know, I mean, obviously I'm not uh, breaking news. I'm not perfect, Jeff, but I've sort of gotten to a point and I don't know if it's just as you learn history and you learn kind of the, the behind the scenes stuff of some of the, the most terrible people in the universe. Um, you can see how they're they're us like the same things that are going through them that got them to where they are at we we would be in a very similar situation had we been in their shoes in their context you know born in their situation in their culture it's it's like people are people yeah i mean if i was i don't want to be crass but if i was raised um in a situation where, where some priest molested me, I, I would probably have no desire to follow Jesus. You know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, you want to be a Christian? It's like, ah, uh, no, I'm good. And, and so, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, in different situations, and I've never, I've never appreciated the answer of, oh, if I was born in, 
in um, India, I would still be a Christian. I've never, yeah, maybe, but most likely you'd be a Hindu. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it, at least admit that because sure, I, I, I could, I could become a Christian if I was born in that situation, but odds are I wouldn't be. It's just, that's kind of obvious if you look at demographics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm just kind of looking at some of these and I've been going through the book. I didn't get a chance to finish it, but it is really good. And it's, I want to say easy reading, but I don't want to, I don't want to have that sound insulting. It's just, it's easy for anyone. And I think that was obviously intentional on your part. So people can kind of grasp these, these issues that are challenging for probably a broad portion of uh, American evangelicalism today. So kudos to that, to you. Well, yeah, thanks. I, I, you know, I was talking, I went to coffee with my mom today and she was like, you know, your second book from the blood of Abel and my mom and I don't agree, which is fine. Like, I think it's nice that we have conversations still and we don't agree. I think that's beautiful. Uh, but she was like, well, that was kind of difficult for me to read. So I was like, well, I hope that my new book is more accessible because I tried to, I tried to simplify things and I'm sure, I'm sure in my simplification, I probably missed some things. And that's just, I think that's, that's the difficulty of finding that balance. You know, I read 1200 page books sometimes that, you know, Doug Campbell's book covers four chapters in Romans and it's 1200 pages. Damn it's it. like, how do you, how do you distill those kind of ideas to the common person? Like, and I would consider myself a common person, you know, that I don't, I don't read fluent Greek and things like that, but he writes as if I'm supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you take those ideas and distill them down? I think um, I think people who can do that and write really simplified books and, that, um, you know, someone like Rob Bell. I mean, I think Rob Bell's not the greatest theologian in the world, but I think there's a beautiful art to be able to really write simply and artistically and and still ask some good questions and still put forth some good ideas. And that's not a knock on Rob Bell. I, I just, I think other people are better theologians. He's better than me. <laughs> um, but, but, but there's a certain um, artistic gift in being able to distill things down. And I don't think I've got quite there yet, but thank you for the compliment. I, I'm, I'm really trying to be able to talk to more people and just people who aren't going to read 1200 page books, you know, that's dorky, you know, no one has time for that. I in the words have, of sweet, in the words of sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. No, I don't have time for that either. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, the book, uh, it, I think it won an award from the Stanford Book Review for the longest subtitle this year: "Heretic and LGBT Affirming Divine Violence Denying Christian Universalist Responses to Some of the Evangelical Christianity's Most Pressing <laughs> Concerns." <laughs> I was clicking. I was clicking on that, that this week. I'm like, that's not really the title. Let me, That's let not me, really. Let me let me check let me check that out again. That's not the title. Just, well, yeah, if you just look at the it cover, it's, it's overly ridiculous. I mean, I like ridiculous. I do too. I you know, <laughs> it's good. I mean, it says it's like heretic exclamation point. So that's obvious, and then it's like, oh, why is he a heretic? Well, there you go. Just lays it out there. Yeah, I saw the I saw the LB whatever the heck it is. I'm like, oh, again? Do I got a LGBT? Oh, yeah, LGBT. Well, the real the real acronym's much worse. It's like there's an I and a couple A's. So I I, I like the gen the gender and sexual minority acronym. Oh, GSM oh. is much better. Yeah, that that clarifies things. Because otherwise, it's like it's LGBTQ I. A, 
IAA plus, I think, or something. IAAP. I think. I'm an educator, and I'm so done with acronyms. I'm like, I do not want another acronym ever in my life, but they just keep coming. So when I see them, I just get turned off. Yeah. Whoever was, whoever is behind, like not that there's one person, but if there is one person, he probably, he or she, uh, was probably in the military with the with the acronym, mm. right, Scott? Yeah, oh, back. yeah, un- uh, unnecessary, uh, unnecessary acronyms. Yeah, Scott was in the army. So let's go with the LGBT affirming. Uh, you write a lot about that in your blog, All Set Free, um, and one of your chapters is called "God Made Adam." and Eve and Steve, how did you, you weren't always, as you would say, affirming, were you? And how, what kind of, what sort of broke you down to get you to where you're at today? No, I mean, no, of course I wasn't affirming. Um, I was, I was, I was one of those folks who, who wouldn't talk about it a lot and, and just say like, you know, we gotta, we gotta love them. We gotta love the sinner, hate the sin, things like that. Um, so I, you know, in that Christian Missionary Alliance background, I was, you know, I, I, I figured you guys would know what I would believe. Like, you know, that's that's the evangelical sort of uh, view on the on on that issue. Yeah. Uh, and, and not to, I don't want to hyperbolize. You know, evangelicals are they're not standing there with pickets and and you know you know like like the uh, what are they the Westboro Baptist Church. You know, so they they would they would try to love these folks and still say that this is sinful. So I was one of those, uh, one of those type of folks. Um, I got into social work uh, out of college. I was working at group homes, um, and I just I happened to work with a lot of a lot of gay folks. And when I looked at their lives, I I had to be honest with myself and say that their life is no different than mine. Um, their relationship, you know, if it was a lesbian couple, was no different than my wife and I. Like they did the same thing. They went on dates. They they had a house. They got in fights. They made up. You know, they they did the same things. Like this is the same exact behavior. They just happened to do it with someone who has the same, you know, the same genitalia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how? And I was really wrestling. And and I was really wrestling with my faith to begin with, anyway. But I, I asked myself, I was like, how can I say what, what they're doing is sin, but I do the same thing just with a different person? Like, that doesn't make sense. To, that seems wrong. Like, it just didn't. It was one of those things where I didn't know anything doctrinally. I didn't know. I couldn't even quote the clobber passages. So, mm-hmm. called, you know, the quote unquote. I, but I knew in the Bible it said this is wrong, but I didn't know any context. I didn't. And just in my heart, I was like. Well, well, certainly it doesn't it doesn't make sense that the universe would be set up like that. It just didn't resonate in my heart. Like two people who obviously love each other are doing the exact same thing. They have the same struggles. They do the same thing on Saturday, on Friday. They compl- they bitch moan and complain about the same things at work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they you know, I <laughs> how could I say what they're doing is sin and not what I'm doing is is right. And, and I couldn't back that up with doctrine. I couldn't back that up with any sort of Greek text or anything. It just didn't seem right. So I had to 
and that was about the same time where everything was sort of falling apart for me. So mm-hmm. that one, I was, it was easy to let go. If I, if I can let go, well, there's no God. I, of course, I'm not going to tell gay people they're wrong. Like I have no right. justification, I, you know, yeah. my God doesn't exist anymore, but you're still, <laughs> you're still going to hell or something like, no, come on. That's just, right. you know, so, so I guess in that way, it was easy to let that go because everything was kind of falling apart for me doctrinally and, and faith wise. Um, but it, but it started with just just observing people, just listening to people, talking to people. I've certainly done way worse shit in my relationship with my wife than other gay couples have had. I'm sure I'm sure I've been way bigger of an asshole. Yeah. I know I have. I know I have um, for certain. So in my heart, I can't say what they're doing is sinful because I might as well, you know, all that plank and spec stuff that is in Matthew. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think some people would say they're not trying? Like, to choose the same sex, like, the challenge of, the challenge of male and female is, um, I would say, is a balancing act. And female-female and male-male is, is not a balancing act. Now I realize there's going to be you know, arguments, but anybody who's living together and what, you know, wanting their own will to be done in their home is doing a podcast together is, uh, you know, is going to be, there's going to be conflict. So the idea, as I heard you say, you know, they're, they argue like, you know, I argue with my wife and, um, so the idea of not trying, I've kind of a, have a belief that something has happened um, in the past that has pushed them away from even wanting to to try um, what we see as um, a normal um, biblical relationship. So I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on that, on the balance? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but I, I would I would. Is there a normal want, biblical I, relationship? Is there yeah, like I would a biblical have a, ideal? I would have a hard time with that because I don't have concubines back there. You know, I mean, what is <laughs> what is a bit what is a normal? I, I I'm not sure what normal biblical would be. I I would I guess if someone said that, I'd probably not agree with that premise on what that that should be the guiding uh, force in determining what that is. And if it was, I think we can get I think we can get into some muddy waters on what we define as normal right. or biblical. I mean. Not to change the subject, but in in the 1900s, the Southern Baptist Convention head argued for slavery because it's biblical. And that's some pretty, that's some pretty cr- crazy stuff. As late as, I mean, you're a man of a Jesus follower arguing for slavery because it's biblical in the 1900s. Like, ooh, that I mean, that's I think getting get I think you, saying something is biblical is not necessarily saying something is Christ-like. And looking at it historically. The sociological concept of homosexual is not around until post-modernity. I mean, um, wait, say, sir, say that again. Sir, say say the, that again, Matthew. Like the the understanding that we define as homosexual is not something that's around until after the Enlightenment. Certainly. Wait, so, like, but like relationship-wise, not sure. In terms of saying, there's always some, been there's always been homosexual relations. Oh, I mean, certainly there. Back, have, sure. Yeah. Yeah, certainly there's male, male, female, female, and all sorts of varieties. I mean, that's that's 
shown throughout um, ancient literature. But as far as saying this person is a is like biologically homo or not bio, but they are a homosexual in the way that we understand a homosexual is not around until later. Like from what I understand, like in the Greco-Roman uh, uh, context, for instance, it wasn't so much about well, this person's gay. It was about uh, is it pederasty? That's how you pronounce yeah. it. It's, it. It's it's more about social status rather than who someone is naturally sexually attracted to. And yeah. certainly those behaviors went on throughout all of history. That's, that's obvious. I just don't think we can apply the modern understanding of like two loving men who want to be monogamous or something and then importing that back into ancient texts, I, I find that problematic. Yeah, the, the well, if we if we start, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You haven't spoken this entire podcast. So go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that. Uh, so I, I wanted to go back and ask, you know, as you you're, you you kind of came to this conclusion while everything else is falling apart. Um, so then I think the 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 next question is okay. Well, then as you come. As you start to put God back together, um, how how was this this that wasn't a part of of that of your understanding of, of Scripture? Um, if if reducing it to or not reducing it, but just at the level of 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 sexual interaction, um, going going beyond that, I'm not, I'm not sure that. Putting a you know monogamous loving wrapped a, wrapping that around the sexual interaction, I, I just I'm not I don't see how that would change the sinfulness of, of the action. Well, it might if um, so. The, I've done a little bit. This is an area that I want to get into. Is and my next question for you, Matthew, was going to be around. Um, you, you hadn't done kind of the doctrinal or theological legwork at the time that you kind of lost that view. But since, since then, have you done some of that? Because I know there, there are some, there's some interesting scholarship that shows what, when they're talking about homosexuality in the new Testament, it, it could look more like, well, let's see the person in power, the man in power, and then, doing homosexual acts or same-sex acts with somebody that was younger and subordinate, the, the dominant person in that, would have, it would have not been considered a homosexual act, only the subordinate. So it was, a, it was an actor, act of power over that um, the act that Paul is going against is uh, the power over and not necessarily talking about what we see if we just see a gay couple. Is that kind of what you're thinking, Matthew? Yeah, well, let me let me answer Scott's question real quick. Sure. I would say I, I wouldn't differentiate. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that acts are what we need to look at, not the characters in the act. So if you're going around and every night sleeping around, that I would say that's not advisable. That's not a good be. That's not something we should look at and say, yeah, that person's um, doing things in their life that are, that are loving. I wouldn't call it love. I, 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 I'm not sure what I would call it promiscuous. Um, 
I don't think it changes if we change the characters. If he's if he's if he's a homosexual man and he's going out and committing these acts every day and he's sleeping around, but I don't think it changes if it's now he's doing it with a woman or a woman's doing it or. Well, it's, yeah, but the same the same kind of prohibition, let's say, um, would be would be for the the fornicator who is who is doing that with uh, hetero having heterosex and from from the scriptural perspective or I guess from my scriptural perspective. That yeah, that uh, you'd say no. That's you, sh- you shouldn't do that either. That's that's sinful. Sex yeah, outside and, of marriage. Yeah. yeah, and and most most Christians would obviously agree. Um, and I, I'm not sure I would disagree. So, but looking looking at the context, I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about. And there was this there was this was rampant, especially in the Corinthian churches, that this this behavior was very rampant. This shrine prostitution. And so for me, it seems more about, and looking at the context of all those vices Paul listens, it's more about, or lists, it's, it, for me, it seems more it's about coercion and power over and hierarchy, not necessarily the fact that both dudes had a penis. Um, it, it's more about how we're engaging with other people. And I think even John MacArthur admits that, and he's the very conservative um, Calvinist who would say yeah, that this was absolutely, he even says in his New Testament um, uh, commentary that, yeah, it was called Corinthianizing. Like this was a common act that they would, that they would do, like this shrine prostitution ritual. Um, generally older, well-to-do men and younger, prepubescent maybe, even boys. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> I agree. That's yeah. not, that's wrong. Mm. But... I, I can't I can't then be anachronistic and say what we're doing today is the same thing. We need to read we need to interpret what Paul was talking about back into now. You know what I mean? Like we can't take our modern understanding, impose it back onto the ancient text. Right. And, the, and then that, yeah, we'd go to Romans, the the I think the Romans passage is because you know you can go in in the, the Corinthians it's the um effeminate, right? And there there could be right. some Right. Uh, what exactly does that mean? The Romans passage, I think, is clearer. Um, exchanging the natural passions—that um, seems to be mutual. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I, we, right. And I would, I would agree with you. And, and then I would, but then I would have to say, well, there's if Douglas Campbell, the 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 Pauline scholar, is correct in his thesis in his 1,200-page uh, tomb, The Deliverance of God, if he's correct, then that is not necessarily the, the so-called, the quote-unquote, voice of Paul. Um, have you guys seen the Colbert Report? Yeah. It's, it's like, obviously, Stephen Colbert's not a Republican, but he's going through this diatribe of, you know, he's playing this yeah. um, spe- speech and character sort of thing. If that's what Paul, Paul is doing, then, then Romans 1, 18 through 32 is not the voice of Paul, necessarily. It's him sarcastically quoting the false teachers who were sent from the Jerusalem church, James and Peter, either at least indirectly, um, that he's going to then refute and go through this whole diatribe throughout uh, uh, 1 through 4. Um, and so if that's not even the voice... And, and, and I've read the book, and I've read the arguments against the book, and, and for my money, it's... It's. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a Pauline scholar, and I don't speak. I don't speak biblical Greek. I, I'm learning, but I'm not. I don't. I'm not there. And, but as far as my intellect is able to grasp, that book 
completely changes how we read Paul. And I wouldn't say it's a perfect thesis, but it's better than anything out there for my money. And and, and I might be wrong. N.T. Wright probably disagrees with Doug Campbell, even though he wrote his foreword. Uh, but from what from what I've understood about Paul and, and the New Testament, that seems to be the the strongest interpretation. So, yeah, Paul does say that. But if Doug Campbell's right, it's not even Paul. It's it's Paul being a sarcastic ass, I guess, and and sarcastically quoting who he's about to lay the smack down on in Romans two one, which is why he says, "Therefore, you." judges who judge others, you're condemned by your own logic. That's how I interpret 2.1. So if you're going to say this, that's fine, but you are still sinful and you are, you are still not justified by your logic. And, if, and, and essentially, I think the argument is this. There's these false teachers either on their way to Rome or in Rome saying, if you want to become a Christian, you got, you got some Jewish identity markers to have. Circumcision, kosher meal, Sabbath keeping. If you do those, you're good. If you don't, you're out. I mean, you're not, you're, not, you're not in. You're not a Christian. And yeah, Paul's not having any of that because that's law. And for Paul, I mean, we see this in Galatians. He's super pissed. Like, you know, you're going to come in. I'm going to teach you the gospel. I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you about the gospel. And then you're going to allow some law back into your gospel. And that's why I think in Galatians 5.12, he's like, if you want to force people to circumcise yourself, cut off, go, go finish the job on yourself. Go yeah. castrate yourselves, you know, because that's, that's the logical conclusion of this, you know? Um, and, and, yeah. I, and, I, and we do that all the time. We, it's a reductio ad absurdum. We're going to take a bad argument and reduce it to some ridiculous conclusion that happens all. That's a, that's actually a really good way to show people that what they're saying doesn't make sense. Well, or it could, yeah, it could be that, He's he's saying that this is this is the case. They actually are doing this, and this is actually a violation of of God's law of of going against nature. And then two one is yeah. And if you're if you're if you're agreeing that that stuff is wrong, but then you're essentially being a hypocrite. That could be a just as valid, I guess. Yeah. If, you, if you want to go down that. What is uh, in the interest of time? What is uh if somebody's like, okay, I want to learn more about this, apparently, well, for my money, there's a lot more going underneath the surface than just what we get in our English translations with the homosexuality passages. Um, are there some books that aren't 1,200 pages long that would be good to point <laughs> people to? Well, I mean, to be fair, Doug Campbell's book is not about homosexuality. It's right, about, right, right, right. Yeah, it's about justification theory. Right. Um, yeah, as far as – no, I, I'm more – you know, I – John Shore's got a good book. It's called Unfair. Um, I haven't read a lot of books on the topic. I've been more into the the journals and articles because I, I mean, I do talk about it some in my blog, but it's not the focus of my theology. I think it's just and I and to be honest, I'm not sure why I've I've been so feel like I've been led to just you know stand up for the LGBT community. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, but to stand yeah, for my, them my, to love them to love people. Right. 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 And and the best way to to if you're if you're not if you're if you're confused on whether you're loving someone, I think we need to ask them. I mean, I've got a lot of gay friends, and if I'm not love, you know, if I say, "Well, I love you, but I hate your sin," I don't. I I haven't found in my experience that that's loving. Um, I've got 
you know, the guy who ran my website is an openly gay married man. I, I, I would feel like if I told him what he was doing was sinful, it wouldn't be loving, you know? Um, wouldn't but, it be loving to, to actually point out that something is, is sinful, if, if indeed it is? Uh, sure, I just don't find it to be sinful. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't think that there is some sort of law against what they're doing. There's no coercion. It's, it's, uh, there's no violence being done. Uh, you, some people can call it unnatural, but just look at the natural world. There's a lot of weird, weird stuff that's not normal, so-called. I mean, there's species out there that are neither male or female, and they adapt to whatever encounter they come across. I mean, to call Hello. something unnatural is it's a little bit odd to then say, well, what you're doing is unnatural. It's like, well, actually, the natural world is really strange and bizarre. Yeah, but but I mean, we're we're made in the image of God. We we God has given laws, scripture to that He's given that reveals Himself um, to utilize our natural thinking. Um, you know, I, I think we we would we conform to scripture. I mean, dogs eat poop. Um, what what is? I mean, we just to point to just because something happens in nature doesn't mean that it's normalized. Oh, I I would agree. Yeah, we yeah I would agree. Um, I and, would and not to, and not to focus on this this topic. Oh, I know. That's okay. <laughs> we just got it. <laughs> but I would disagree that we conform to scripture. I I, I would say we be we conform to Christ, not scripture. Right. Would, I would, I would as as, as uh, yeah Christ as as described from what we know, and from the apostles who were the ones who Christ empowered to go out and to teach. So on a practical, okay, so remember that, Christ, conforming to Christ, because I want to go there uh, before we're done and what that looks like. Um, but practically for you, Matthew, what is being, a, what would being affirming in a church context like look like for you? I'm not sure if you're, I think I've heard you say you're not like a part of a physical church right now. I don't know if you're house church or what, but what does that look like practically, being affirming? Well, I mean, we would treat gay couples and exactly the same way we it, it just wouldn't be an issue yeah. i mean you know if you two were a couple not just do two dudes sitting in a podcast i would just exact i would act exactly the same <laughs> i i don't i don't know um you can't see I, my hands they're on his leg though well i just i didn't want to say anything <laughs> um, i i i don't know i mean it just it, i i guess it would just it would be the exact same as we treat heterosexual couples. Yeah. I mean, same thing goes with women in, in leadership roles. I would say, well, what about a woman who wants to be a pastor? Whoa, whoa, are, whoa, uh, whoa. I, I know, I know. <laughs> Get him, Jeff. Because Paul, you know. I, but, yeah. I mean, I would just say, no, it's, I mean, yeah. Well, I guess I ask, that makes total sense, but I guess I ask because I know there's, right now there's a lot of churches that interpret it, interpret the ideal relationship between a man and a woman uh, in a traditional conservative biblical sense, but they're trying, I don't know, I want to say update, or uh, they're trying to find a way to navigate it and not not give up what they're, what they're doing, but also love better because they recognize the failures of the church when it comes to 
gay people. So that's kind of where I my think I, is coming from. I just think we focus way too much energy on gay people and what gay people are doing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just funny that when you when you when you hear people talk, like we won't say, we won't admit that we're that we're weighing their sin greater, but we always seem to effing talk about you it. You can say it. Uh, I well, I we always seem Next to time. That was good talk enough. about <laughs> it way more often than we should. Like, like I, I I don't know. I have I'm not well. I I have too many problems to focus on what gay people are doing. I'm too much of an angry asshole most not most of the time, mm-hmm. but I can be an angry asshole. Yeah. And 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 if I I'm sorry, but I I don't have my shit put together in such a way where I have to focus that much energy on what other people are doing. Hey, I don't know. If <laughs> hey. If if you were in church and uh, they said, okay, up on the screen, we're going to bring up everybody's internet history, all males in the room. Um, uh, gay people would look is that, really... Is that the, the site? Gay, gay people would look very small. There'd be a small piece of the puzzle. Be, and and you'd have like, ha- you'd have half the... Ma- you might have all the males walking out of the church in embarrassment. And of course. I, so... You know, when you put it into the big picture, it's just, I don't know what it is. If we want to, you know, put something into focus and then say, I'm better than you. It's more tangible than pride and self-righteousness. Yeah. All the all the ones that go under the radar that yeah. you can hide. Right. I know I know a lot of people who struggle with weight and struggle with caffeine addiction, and we don't ever talk hey. about that. I mean, I... I no, it's he looks not, right at you, Scott. Say, like... Like it's not to call anyone out, but it's like my goodness. Like we we've we've obviously weighed sin. People look. I mean, I have I have uh, an autoimmune disease that cannabis helps, and I have people who are addicted to to pain pills that I know take things and that you know they get a headache immediately when they don't have caffeine, which obviously points to a caffeine addiction. They drink. They could drink me under the table, and they're going to talk about how well you're a sinner because you you use an herb to to slow down the autoimmune process it's like you're silly (laughs) like come on now Mm -hmm. i mean don't you have other things to worry about and i and i know it's good to if if we see someone struggling with something to to help them out to point out hey i i see this in your life this pattern of behavior whatever to point out sin as we like to call it but my goodness like we just seem so fixated on it Mm -hmm. in other people that we do, we then don't turn around and look at the sin in our lives, as if we. I mean, we 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 seem to act, and this was another major turnoff for me when I when I my faith kind of fell apart. It was like, if I'm really going to preach this, I'm just going to be a hypocrite because I I struggle with some a lot of things, and it so many people I know must struggle with things. They're just not being honest. They just want to focus on other people, gay people, people who do this and that, and it's like. Man, we we really if we want to talk about the sin of others, we need to we need to brush off our front porch because it's it's messy. So let's start there first and then let's have the conversation about other people. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with uh should I agree with all, almost all of that. Um and and like from from my pastor, uh he only he only brings it up when it's uh brought up in the text. Um so yeah, we don't focus on it and yeah, I have a lot of other things to focus on. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, wow, that's pretty good. Wow. Well, you mentioned cannabis. I know. Um, I do want to close with Jesus and what following Jesus and and which Jesus. 
Yeah, cannabis, though. You mentioned cannabis. What is – I know you blogged about that a few times and you're pretty open about that. How does that How does that help you and why shouldn't Christians be freaked out about the, uh, the devil's weed? <laughs> the devil's lettuce? Yeah. Well, I, I would start with a – uh, we like to joke how I always problematize things. I would say cannabis is not for everyone. I, I Just because I smoke weed doesn't mean I think anyone should smoke weed, and I don't tell people they should smoke weed. What I do say is that I have what's called refractory celiac. So celiac disease is an autoimmune uh, where I can't ingest gluten. And refractory means that when I go on a gluten-free diet, my body doesn't care. It still has all the problems, mm. and the disease, it, the disease progresses. Um I've, I've found that, which, which sucks, because every time I get protein, my body's like, no, get it. That does <laughs> that's, suck. That's, yeah, that, that's not, it's not fun. I won't go into details. But, <laughs> yeah. um, so what I've learned is, is that cannabis slows the, the process down. It, it quote-unquote cools the gut. It has something to do with the lymphatic function, which is where my problem is. The, there's a bunch of different white blood cells, lymphocytes, and all these other. Um, and so mine is a lymphocyte thing, and it... it Somehow the, the cannabinoids uh, attach to the cannabinoid receptors and it regulates lymphatic function. So then my body doesn't say to everything I eat, like for an intruder, go, you know, blast them. Um, so that's super helpful when you don't yeah. have to, when you're not in, in agony. So, yeah, I, um, I've been a pretty passionate guy about like the drug war and, and, and totally legalizing pot. Um, and then I and then in my research on the drug war, it's just like, God, did we not learn our lesson with alcohol prohibition? It Seriously. just doesn't work. Like, I mean, my own personal anecdotes aside, like I'm you, I always I always try to say, like, you don't have Al Capone without the prohibition. Mm -hmm. So you don't have MS-13 without the drug war. Yeah. Um, you, if you want to treat drug addictions, treat it medicinally, not criminally. Um so that that's that's where I'm at, but uh, yeah, we we can't we can't be so quick to say everyone who smokes pot is a fat loser, like like someone like Nancy Grace would say. Right. I mean, my goodness, the fastest man in the world smoked pot, and the fastest swimmer, like <laughs> come yeah. on, like like slow your roll. It doesn't make everyone fat and lazy. Yeah, or learn a little bit about Joe Rogan and how how many jobs he's doing and how busy he is and. Right. You know that what? dude makes $100,000 at least a podcast episode, and he's got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai yeah. and smokes pot a lot. Like, <laughs> he has Netflix specials. Like He's done better than we all probably have yeah. in terms of success in that way. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much uh, ignorance and fear because of the drug war and propaganda. I mean, I think Jeff Sessions said that good like decent people don't smoke pot yeah. or something like that right yeah and i tweeted him back obviously he didn't respond because who am i i said i will take you to dinner so we can have a conversation and you can okay and you you can't say these things about people you've never met no yeah. good person smokes pot i was like dude we've never met and we never will like how yeah. do you know like that just seems so arrogant yeah. like come on now <laughs> yeah so Jesus. let's talk about let's let's conclude with jesus yeah right yeah uh, I got to read the, the quote you have from Mark Drisc Driscoll in the, uh, uh, that precedes the, the last chapter, I think, on Revelation. And oh, gosh. So <laughs> this, it's simultaneously amusing for me and then a little bit sad. But Driscoll says, in Revelation, Jesus is a pride 
Pride Fighter, Prize Fighter, with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and some commitment to make someone bleed. That is a guy I can worship. I cannot worship the hippy-dippy diaper Halo Christ because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. So, it's amusing because, from my understanding, and I know there's a lot of ways, as we'll get into, that you can look at Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, but it kind of feels like he's describing someone other than the Jesus described in the Gospels, which means he's not following the Jesus from the Gospels, or is he? Right. Well, yeah, I I mean, if you just look at the historical Jesus, like, that's absurd. It's a pride fighter. Pride was a Japanese MMA fighting. um, Okay, I wasn't sure if I got autocorrected on my transcription. Oh, no. (laughs) No, uh, yeah, it kind of preceded the UFC. Um, So, yeah, he basically wants Anderson Silva or, you know, Forrest Griffin or, or, you know, Tito Ortiz or any of those MMA guys to be Jesus. And that guy, that guy... That guy just didn't exist. I mean, in the first century, that's just not. And, and you can't honestly read the Gospels and, and think that that Jesus has the commitment to make someone bleed. If anything, Jesus commits to bleed himself. But he um, said to get a sword, Matthew. He said to get yeah. a sword. It's right there in the Bible. Right. Yeah. And if, if we're honestly following a guy who was going to take on Rome with two swords, then Jesus was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, he did say to, to, and then when someone used it, he said enough, and then he healed the guy who he used it against. And yeah, uh, yeah and, and the context, it's like, yeah, it's to fulfill scripture. He's, he's counted among the transgressors, and that's an allusion to suffering servant. And in, and in Isaiah 53, it said he was condemned even though he had done no violence. Um, so yeah, if our Messiah is telling people to get swords and they're going to go out and defend themselves and take on Rome, I, I mean that's that's one way of interpreting the text. But I don't I don't. There's so I, we have we have to look at the whole of Jesus' ministry as best we can as historians, and and I get it. The the, the gospels ha- are their own gospels. Like we got to kind of put this thing together on what Jesus' actual historical and 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 we can't do a great job because. We can do a decent job, but there's still going to be mystery because we weren't there and things weren't journal. We we didn't have journalists like we do today writing right. down everything Jesus did, but we do the best we can. There's no way you can look at the Gospels and 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 conclude what Mark Driscoll is concluding unless I think we have this Book of Revelation the way he interprets Jesus coming back, and it just seems like the Jesus that came in the first century is not the guy who's coming back in most people's minds, in, including how I interpret Driscoll and Mike Bickle and, and the theology I was given. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it almost seems as if Jesus had time to sit and really think about what was done to him and be like, I'm not letting that happen again. They're going to get it. And, and, you know, we look at passages like the blood on Jesus' robe as if it's the blood of his enemies rather than it's his own blood that, he, you know, it's like he's coming back to just destroy people and literally... You know, I also quote Mike Bickle, who really believes that, or, or so it seems at one point, he really believes Jesus is coming back to literally kill people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't, I don't, you, you can't get that with the Gospels. I mean, Jesus goes to the cross forgiving people who are murdering him. That's some radical stuff, man. That is not, I guarantee I would not do that. I practice, <laughs> I practice following Jesus. So, so I practice following Jesus in theory. But yeah. and I'll forgive I'll forgive people that have done things to me. But in the midst of something, 
I know jujitsu. I know some Muay Thai. I was, I trained jujitsu for a long time. I'll choke, I'll choke your ass out before I forgive you on the cross. <laughs> yeah. That's just, Jesus is radical and, and I try to follow him, but I don't, I probably don't do a great job. What is, so what does it look like then practically? I mean, obviously you're not perfect. Um, but with your, your kids and your wife, the day to day, what is shooting to follow Jesus well look like for you? Well, that's easy because my wife and daughter are absolutely wonderful and they're really easy to love. So it's not a challenge. Um, so I, my daughter is very forgiving, is very um, understanding. She doesn't hold grudges and she's really, she does a lot of dance. So she's very disciplined and, and too busy to screw up. I mean, she's yeah. a ballerina. So um, <laughs> she's too busy to say, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> So, but, but what I'm saying is that it's really easy to forgive them because they're so in the day to day, it, I just, I, I honestly try to emulate them for the most part. Like they're way more understanding and way more prone to, uh, to love me unconditionally than, than I am to love people unconditionally. Uh, and you know, so for instance, I'm, I'm big against spanking, so I don't spank my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think violence in any form is, is good. Um, so in the day, I I don't spank her. Um, I, I try to I try to be as best as I can a positive role model rather than telling her what not to do. I try to model it for myself because that's how I see Jesus. I don't see Jesus necessarily saying don't do this, don't do that. Rather, we follow him, and we, we don't do that when we, you know, we don't covet our neighbor's stuff when we love our neighbor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah. if we're following some positive role model, we don't have to worry about the negatives so much because we're just not. We're not going to murder our neighbor when we love them, truly. Um, so I, as best as I can, I, 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 I try to be a positive role model in, in forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and not holding grudges and not holding things over her head. And I try to apologize as much as possible. Just if I want my daughter to apologize for things she's done wrong, I got I to gotta, I gotta throw the ego aside for a second when I want to well, I'm the parent, so <laughs> you know. Yeah. What I say, what I say, I'd rather apologize. Say so you're right. I I didn't behave that way. I mean, what power to give your? I mean, to show your kids like I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it strips the power struggle. I learned that working in group home and and in social work. If you apologize to a kid in foster care, they they don't know how to deal with that because everything for them has been a power struggle. Um. So to say to undercut the whole thing and be like, well, I'm I'm sorry, but I didn't respond the correct way how can you can't really fight that well you're wrong yeah i just admitted i was wrong right i apologize and it kind of the, the issue goes away and then they you know imitatively almost are like well yeah you're, you're right i didn't yeah. I, I, I didn't do that the right way my daughter's even done that you're right daddy i, I whined and fussed and i'm like yeah I, I raised my voice so how about we both work on that and hug it out and be done with it it's done like yeah you know. I was I was hoping we'd land on uh, Rene Girard a little bit, but in a weird way, you kind of touched on a, a version of it, like the the mimicking and like being the one to the one to forgive. It holds a lot of power to forgive yeah, in spite I, of of what the the other person is thinking or saying or doing. You know what I mean? Right. And how I think I think yeah. if we can forgive. Um, that's why I think Jesus was the most free. 
is because he he forgave his murderers. So therefore, no one can change who he was, even if they murdered him. I mean, he, if you can forgive people who are persecuting you, they, they really they have no power over you as a person. They might have power over your body in the moment. Obviously, Jesus allowed that to happen. But they didn't change who Jesus was. Um, they couldn't. Yeah. He was, he was going to forgive them even when, when they pierced him and put him. And w when I say they, we would have probably too. I mean, I, I would have. I would, or I'd, I'd at least been like Peter and be like, dude, I don't know that dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, when, when we, we are truly free when, when we don't, when we can be forgiving like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, that, that does get, uh, you know, there's this joke on the Heretic Happy Hour, which is the podcast I co-host, that every time I mention mimetic theory, everyone has to take a shot, uh, which we don't recommend because people would probably pass out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I think mimetic theory helps explain, um, helps explain a lot of human behaviors that, that we can really apply in our own lives. Well, I, when I was doing a little research on you, I, I, just looking at were you stalking books? Just looking at the, the books that you've written, I you know came across Rene Girard, you know, in research of uh, medic theory, and um, was l watching a, a YouTube video where he was being um, interviewed, and just talking about how clarifying uh, Christianity and the belief in Christ. Um, compared to myths that have been throughout history, um, you know, you know, just where there's a person that has done wrong, they're the villain, there's violence, and they're killed. The community kills them. And, and, and there's, they just, there's this rallying point. And so if, as you move into the life of Christ, there's something clarifying Nobody believed that he had ever done wrong. He wasn't a murderer. He didn't. He wasn't. Um, you know, he wasn't a thief. Um, but they they killed him. And he, as uh, you know, Rene Girard was explaining, um, and he was talking about. I think it was the golden golden bow of written by Fraser Frazier or something. I can't recall, but. He looked at it as Christ was wasn't a myth, and it wasn't a myth because he wasn't uh, violent. There, they killed him, and the community killed him, and they were all for it. And he was an innocent, and it's one it's one story that has carried over any other story in all of history. That's so clarifying that. An innocent man died in the Roman Empire that everybody knew hadn't done anything. There was no proof of anything. But everybody else, in as you go back in in the myths of and the stories that have been brought forward, like Oedipus, they right. they did wrong. Um, they killed his mother and father, and uh, and so it, it was just when you think about the life of Christ. And what was done on the cross, um, this innocent person who lived this life um, and gave it all, there's something that happened in that moment in time 
Um, I mean, if people get a chance to go and look up Rene Girard, and it is, it's like a 36-minute interview, um, and it's... It's next-level shit. <laughs> well, it's just so clarifying of yeah. what of what Christ did. And so when people believe, um, they have no idea. I'm not exactly sure if I even realize um, such a small piece of what I realize or what any of us realize was actually done in history and how that moment in time just changed time for forever. And it was always coming and just nobody knew it. And so when you say people are thinking about, I mean, Matthew, when you say people are thinking about a Jesus coming back, but they really, they see a different Jesus, um, I, I, people just don't understand when Jesus comes back, what that, what that is going to look like um, exponentially. Um, I don't know, that's my... Thought. Was there a question in there? No, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's commentary. I'm yeah, that's good. On, on your your book and your research and um, just your passion of you know, loving people and being hopeful and um, being hopeful for you know what has happened in history or two thousand years ago that changed everything and like what man would go like what you're saying like what what man would even you know don't even cut my finger off for uh, you're gonna give my li- I'm gonna give my life for all these people. These homosexuals, these murderers, these um, dictators, like no way for all eternity, all these people. I mean, how could we not think that, um, how could we not, I mean, it's impossible <laughs> to understand. The gravity of it is I've been blowing my own mind. I just, <laughs> I'm running in circles yeah. and I'm going to implode. Any thoughts on that, man? Hey, Jesus, Jesus is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, is it uh, Ephesians 3, like, the love of God is broader and higher and deeper and wider than we can imagine. So whatever we imagine, it's it's wider and broader and higher and deeper. I can't even imagine and, it. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, so literally, you can't imagine it. Because once you think you've got it, you don't have it. It's broader. It's wider. Yeah. It's deeper. Um, and yeah, what you said about Gerard is, is, is right on, man. I mean, the gospel reads as myth, so it can uh, expose myth. Uh, what we do for cohesion and for collective catharsis is we we scapegoat others, and that's what Je- I mean. Jesus was a perfect example of that. So too the suffering servant. We even see it in Job, and that's why I, I would say, as opposed to other myths, the the Bible is is very inspired because now you have a forgiving victim, and the tale doesn't paper. Or- I mean, Oedipus, he did the crime. The plague was his fault. The minute they expel him, the Apollonian plague is lifted. Obviously, mm-hmm. Oedipus was guilty. Um, there's all, and the myths are guilty. The, the victim is guilty, and the Gospels are like, mm, no, the Centurion's like, surely this was the Son of God. Yeah. <laughs> in 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 ancient literature, like, no, that does not happen in mythologies. You know, there's not, you know, the. The person writing the myth is not like, well, then we need to make sure that the victim is the one in the right. It's like, come on. Yeah. The community is the one in the right. Right. The victim is the guilty one. That's why he's got to go. And if we can all agree on that, guess what? We don't fight any longer. At least for a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we have rituals. We got we to gotta keep this thing going. That's why we sacrifice. We got to keep this thing going. 
we got a bigger and bigger sacrifices, better and better gifts from the gods. And we do that shit today still. Right. And so we many certainly, ways. We certainly do. And, and, I, and I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but people have done it to Donald Trump. You can't say there were some Republicans who said if we get rid of Donald Trump, our problems go away. It's like, no, he's a very convenient scapegoat. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to address the underlying shit that's going on. You can't just say all of our problems go away when Trump is gone. You know, Obama expanded the Bush's drone program. I'm sorry. Yeah. But this this stuff goes way beyond one president. You and that's not to that's not to say that, you know, I know a lot of people would jump on to oh Matt's a Trump guy. No, I'm I'm not. Dude, no. Sounds like it. Dude, you <laughs> just kidding. Not at all. Dude, you're speaking my political I, language. Right. It just it's all, all it's all all it is to say is that it goes beyond one person and I don't care if that person is someone who I would say, nah, come on, that's silly. Yeah. Um someone who I would vehemently disagree with on matters of everything almost probably. I mean I'm sure we can agree on something. But for the most part, I would probably, if I had an hour with Donald Trump, would disagree with a lot of things. Um, but I would also say that, yeah, we, we can't scapegoat him, get rid of him, and think our problems are going to go away. Mm. Cer- certainly, it's much deeper than that. Yeah. So why don't you give us your online credentials where people are going to find you, look for your stuff? Oh, sure. Uh, on Facebook, I don't, I don't have the... The, the link, but you can find Matthew J. DeStefano on Facebook. Yeah. I, I, I write for Pathios. It's under the Progressive Christianity page, but I don't even know if I'm a progressive Christian, but that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it's um, funny. My, it's, you're, not a, you're not the conservative evangelical page, so they just shuttle you guys over to the progressive side. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really have a good label. There's not a good label for me. Yeah. Um, but my blog is called All Set Free. You can find me on there, and I co-host the Heretic Happy Hour, which you can find on iTunes and Podbean. Yeah, and and, it's, and it, I and I do have a book, and and I'm especially excited about this because all my royalties in April are going to the Preemptive Love Coalition, which helps war torn families with emergency funds. Um, so it's just my small way of giving back to them because I don't have a lot of money. So, you know, so I'm just forwarding whatever I can earn in April from my book Heretic is going to go right to them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get this out quickly so that you got. A couple weeks in April for people to hear this, and uh, cool. and, and the, the Kindle version is ninety nine cents all the way through April. Yeah, it's only a book. Yeah. Yep. And it's yeah. a great book. Long cool. title, but it's like great. It. And uh, your podcast is great. And congratulations on having the other alliterative podcast. That's also great. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. I, I really had fun. Scott, Scott, there he is. Oh well, that way we just talked to Matthew oh, just about it. Oh, 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 geez. Whoa. Hey, guys. Hi, Scott. Who are you? Great. Great. How are you? Yeah. Can you hear the? Right, can you hear my car? It's running in the background. No, no we can't. All right, good. Let's get right to it. So we just, uh, just. You know, Zach just interviewed. Wrap this up, and then uh, I thought you said we'd get right to it. You made up for it at the end, but with your, you were blowing your own mind. Yes, it's always nice to blow yourself, Jeff. I'm not even gonna comment, man. uh, I will say, and I will say it. So his chapters, 
I mean, Jesus, afterlife, heaven, or Jesus, following Jesus, is it the afterlife or is it about something more? Cherry picking scripture, divine violence, uh, the straw man that people use against him, calling him a Marcionite. And Marcion was somebody who thought that the gods of the Old and New Testament were different gods. Uh, so people use that against him, which he rejects. Uh, he talks about universalism, the nature of the atonement, predestination, free will, and hell, God's wrath from heaven, or is it from the human heart, and then re- revelation. Uh, so it's, and like he said, you can't cover everything there. You kind of have to skim over some things. But if you're somebody that, if you're some, thank you for that, Jeff. That's amazing information. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you're somebody that was like me, predict or going into deconstruction or Matthew or anytime there's like a seismic shift where you feel the earth shaking and you feel like you got to throw baby Jesus out with the doubt bathwater, that's a registered trademark for about beer. Um, it, these books are helpful. I think he's among the Rob Bells. And I mean, there's a ton of people that are like, once you discover him, when you, when you, finally realize that there's more to the following Jesus story possibly than just the box you were born into uh, and not making judgments about whatever that box looks like for whoever contains that box or is inside that box they're in. These books are good and they're helpful and they can be helpful. And Scott, you were, you were just behaved. You know, Scott. Wow. Thank you. I think there's so much information out there that that's what's sending people over the edge to then deconstruct, deconstruct, yeah, and then reconstruct. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have the internet, we wouldn't have so many conversations and so many theories and uh, questions and um, opinions. Um, it's almost like you're able to sort of travel. Like if you were to travel and live in a different culture, I don't know if it's good though. It. I think it's better than being never leaving, like say Westboro Baptist Church, a church that everyone's heard of because of their hate. Uh, Well, what most people would see as hate, they see it as an expression of their love. But that's a church of like 25 people or 30 people. and But I would never hear of their hate. They they don't, people that are in those environments are like, they're boxed in and it's like reject anything that's outside of this specific environment. And so when you travel, you realize there's, Oh, there's different environments. There's, there's more to life than what I was given. And I think that's mostly a positive. Same with reading podcast, listening to podcasts, having guests that push the envelope for certain Christians. I I think it's a net positive. Yes, it can be dangerous potentially. But do we stay in our houses and not go to Mammoth and blow out, you know, when your knee's blown out and you're supposed to run Ragnar Relay? No, you go to Mammoth. You get outside your box. You blow your knee out because it's worth it. That's not outside my box. That's a terrible example. Is that in your box? That is in my box. I want to be in your box. I, I mean, I would do that no matter what. But I'm saying there's so there's a billion people out there giving their opinion of everything then it all of a sudden we're into conversations and people are down rabbit holes and like, how did I get here? Why I believed in Christ and now I'm, I don't, and I'm, <laughs> I'm lost. And it was, did you just, did you just give up your faith? <laughs> I'm going to isolate that. 
I don't, I do think that the conversations are great as long, as long as they're, you're having engaging conversations with people. And thinking critically? Yes. And I guess I, what's not taught in schools anymore. You, well, unless you're in <laughs> some classes, uh, there's the, so it's you're good. Shooting on my point. Thanks. It's, it's good. It's good because you get to have conversations with, um, especially the people that we talk with on our podcast, um, the three of us, and, you know, all the guys that are downstairs waiting for us to have an even better conversation. How dare you? Uh, there's so much information, and there's a whole lot of people out there that have no idea what to do with it, and then they get completely lost. And they're out in the middle of Montana or something, and there's no population. And they're like, what, what do I do with this? You're right. Stay home. Read the Koran. Or, yeah. I mean, what? Yeah, that's what you said. Stay home in your Muslim box and don't get out because you might learn something that puts you on a slippery slope. That's exactly what you just said. I just think it's very dangerous to take chances. Scott, back me up. It's very dangerous to take chances and risk having conversations Allah. that lead you. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, my god, please. Can we get a clean one for a recording? Good. Allahu Akbar. By the way, Jeff, you're like arguing against the way you live your life. You're on the edge, man. You're cutting edge. You're taking risks. I'm yeah, pumping my fist. anything. Well, I thought you told me I was supposed to do fake news tonight. Oh, okay. Mission accomplished. Feedback! Feedback! Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, feedback! Dude, that, that might be on key. Feedback? We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll edit that out. I was just reading a, a tweet. Um, it was from Kirby Oaks, at Kirby Oaks. Uh, like, That's a taser. Yeah, don't need a taser. That bros battles and beer. Just try this. So Kirby posted a video of Cheers. Remember the old show Cheers, Scott? Yeah. They gave Cliff an electric uh, button where they would shock him every time he acts like a douchebag. So Kirby was contributing to our our taser to cure us of our uh, oh, nice. our vocabulary ills. That's at Kirby Oaks on Twitter. Thank so you. So who um. Who does Kirby want to tase? Who, who's? Um, I'm just gonna say you, because it's easy. That's probably that's probably right. Yeah. Oh, what about Paige? Paige Gray. Great, great. They're catching up on Rosebell's Beer podcast. They're thinking about Scott's rebuttal. Could it be that the violence we attribute to God is actually violence in our own hearts? Huh? Yeah, and that's referencing episode 75 because it takes us like a month and a half to get to some of this feedback. So this is um, not going back that far, but timeline-wise, far. I mean, we're on episode 173. Thanks, Paige. At Paige Gray yeah. Music. Um, yeah, well. That's great, Scott. Next. The, the, yeah, the violence, it's, it, it originates it. in scripture, so I'm not... not People are violent. I like how Matthew put it. People are violent. Could God be violent? And so, I and thought some you people were gonna, aren't. I thought you were going to come over the top there, Scott. Yeah, some people aren't violent. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're just too tired to uh, do Scott, anything. Maybe yeah. they hold it in. 
Maybe they're yeah. passive aggressive. Maybe they're just passive and that's really dumb, Joe. Very angry inside. Ladies and gentlemen, they're if violent. you can see Scott, he is reclined in his car, in his truck, uh, relaxing, and it's there's no there's not a violent bone in his body right now. Never. No, <laughs> right now he's right now asleep. <laughs> no, for, so even even if let let's say that that was the case that they the authors of the Old Testament wrote that in there because they have violence in their own heart. We we can't even discern that. We can't tell that. What we have to go on is is what is scripture. Yeah. If we go beyond if we go beyond that, um, we should be very very careful about attempting to go beyond right scripture and using your own human logic to try to come up with something that matches your own what you think is your own heart right and that's so. that's a really good point that i agree with wholeheartedly i i will say quickly that what is also going on is as scholarship updates and we learn more about the surrounding ancient near east quick quick and some of the stories that you find and what they're doing and how they're similar to other stories outside of the bible you can compare and contrast and see the environment they were in and that may or may not update how we interpret what they meant and stuff like that. So I don't disagree with your statement. But next, next feedbackery. Cam Ridley on Twitch at Crids C R I D Z one hundred one. Bros Wells Bear. If you haven't listened to these guys, you are missing out. I don't know what you're missing, but <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, some of us appreciate that. <laughs> Every time I say hey, let us know what you think. You guys are both like, no, we don't care. Was that passive-aggressive violence, Scott? But continue. <laughs> All right, Danielle Kingstrom on uh, Facebook said, I am listening to episode... That's Bros Bibles Beer, or Facebook.com slash Bros Bibles Beer. I'm listening to episode number 78, Deconversion Danger. The bit about This Is Us has me just laughing my butt off. I love listening to you guys. You are a blast. I love you. Hey, This Is Us. Wait, they and someone enjoyed... Listening to you guys talk about this is us. That I, I shut up, uh. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Uh, and then finally, at Namway Design, Nathan Miller hyphen West. <laughs> Hashtag Truth matters more than people. Hashtag Scottisms. Things that make you go, hmm. What a prick. Oh, no. He didn't write that. So as a teaser to the next episode... <laughs> Zach wrote uh, that. He told me to say it. <laughs> uh, thanks. I'll pay you later. Uh, as a teaser to that, we, we did get a few people that were like, uh, truth matters more than people? What? And of course, in the heat of the episode, it just kind of went and it passed. And so I, did a couple, I conducted a couple of social media polls with some interesting responses uh, that we'll tackle next time. Umbrose Bibles and beer. So I shouldn't respond now. No. Oh. Okay. No. No. We'll we'll flesh it out. All right. We'll, we'll secular flesh it out. Mm. Yeah. Oh, if it's natural. Okay. Just keep it natural. Yeah. Just just keep it. So no shaving natural. then. Don't try to, you know, don't try to dominate. If you are, don't you, try to are you okay with shaving okay. or not shaving? Yeah. Is, is shaving unnatural? Shaving wherever. Shaving. I mean, wherever your mind goes. Why does he act like? He, why does he act coy? I I can't stand that about you, Scott. Okay, thanks. 
So we, the world wants to know, is shaving natural or unnatural? But let's just say somebody were to... He asked you if you I'm asking shaving. for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. Somebody manscapes. Natural, unnatural. Well, you should manscape. It's disgusting if you don't. <laughs> I still want to get back to where Speak he asked you about shaving. Speak. Like, are you shaving or not shaving? You're like, what do you mean about Speak what do you for mean? yourself, Scott. You're acting like, uh, what's Cliff from Cheers? Yeah, I just pressed your douche cliff? button. Yeah, douche button. Pressed. It's not Cliff though. Who's the big guy? It's not Cliff. I think the Cliff button was for Cliff. Oh. Yeah, it was for Cliff. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's actually a funny clip. You can YouTube it. You can see it on our Twitters at Bros Bibles Beer, and that's all of our social medias. And we didn't get any five star reviews between this time and the last on Apple Podcasts, but please do that and tell your friends and subscribe and all that stuff. Yes, please. Drop Was that a word? End up there. <laughs> all right, love you, Scott. Are you staying up there tonight? No, going down there. Come to my house. Yeah, uh, well, it'll take me about an hour and a half to get there. We'll still be here. I was living like you the last few days. My yeah? House, my house was moving. Peeing in a bottle. Hoping you don't have to take a dump in the middle of the night. <laughs> living like me, Jeff, huh? Really? I hated that. I had to run for the trees. Using a pillow as to as wrap your arms as around. As a what? As a what? <laughs> right. I Stop it. This is getting out of hand. Kids are listening to this. All right, shut it down. He's out of control. (laughs) Hurry. He's going to say something. Blasp of me of the Holy Spirit. Don't quote me, bro. Hi, this is Brandon Andrus, and you're listening to Bros Bible and Beers.